Well, hello and welcome to the Encephalitis podcast. Ten years ago, a book was released which has become an important contribution to the literature and understanding on the subject of encephalitis, notably anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. I know I have my copy here. This is my original copy, well-thumbed and something we will come back to. But it is a biography which details one woman's struggles with encephalitis, in particular her diagnosis and and her recovery. It became a New York Times bestseller and was even developed into a Hollywood film by Shalise Theron and starring Chloe Grace Moretz. I am, of course, as you just saw, talking about Brain on Fire, My Month of Madness by Susanna Cahalan. Over the past 10 years, Susanna has become an inspiration for members of the encephalitis community and an ambassador for our society, the Encephalitis Society. Susanna, I am delighted to say, is joining us to talk about the 10th anniversary of Brain on Fire, its impact and her thoughts a decade on from its release. Susanna, welcome to the Encephalitis podcast. Oh, Eva, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. What a joy. I'm so, so thrilled and it's a perfect excuse to catch up with you we've just been nattering away there putting the world to rights I can't believe it's 10 years since Brain on Fire was published um I don't know I mean I've been reflecting on it and I remember you coming over to the UK I remember we went we went out for lunch at the Savoy yes we had a book launch at one of the most famous bookstores in London we made quite the meal of it it was it was certainly a wonderful time in my career but 10 years how does it make you feel old <laughs> um it's amazing no I I uh, that trip the the trip over over to the UK was one of the highlights I think of maybe the the highlight of 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 the launch and it was so special and it was interesting one of the kind of a key question came up I, and I remember like as this, as if it was yesterday a key, a key question came up during the book launch where um, someone had asked me, would you take it back? Would you take that experience back? And at that time I was closer to it. You know, I, you know, I was three years, four years out. And I said, um, I would, I would definitely take it back. I would never want to go through that again. Um, and it's interesting. I remember that really haunted me after. And I thought, is that really true? Like, would I have taken it back? Um, that experience that now looking, looking in the rear of your mirror and seeing how much positive change it created um and, and I feel very differently now than, than what I said then uh, but that but that always has stuck out in my mind as something interesting about this knee-jerk response to say of course I wouldn't have gone through encephalitis again um but kind of emerging from it and realizing that I you know I don't think I would have changed a thing um mm. so that's that's been an interesting thing development since I would say but yeah, yeah the that you that that experience was amazing because it was a community of people. I, I felt very alone uh, <clears throat> in the in the lead up to that. Um, that was just in the beginning where the Autoimmune Encephalitis Alliance was just beginning. I'm not even sure if it was launched at that point. So there were really very few communities, some online, but not never in person. I mean, I was in contact with a lot of people, but I had never been in a room full of people who like understood, really deeply understood, you know, even Ava, you haven't had encephalitis, but you understand deeply what that means. And so that was really powerful to be in that room. I, it really, I can't properly express how meaningful that was to me, especially at that time. Oh, well, that means that that means a lot to me. And we did some crazy stuff as well. If I remember, we also invented a, a brain on yes. fire cocktail. <laughs> we did. I need to. Where I need is that. To I want one right that. now. 
it's it's actually I should have got it out we actually published it in our society cookbook didn't we yes we we need to do this again to celebrate the I know we definitely do (laughs) that was a good cocktail very it was a great (laughs) you saw I still have my copy signed by your good self but I'm going to challenge you now can you remember what you wrote to me in it no I don't remember you have I I can uh uh-oh what did I say? <laughs> it's really lovely. Okay. And you said to Ava, just think of all the incredible ways we can change the world together. So much love, Susanna. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I, I feel like we have done a lot together in a very positive. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. Wow. I love that. I love that. It still makes the hairs go up on the back of my neck. I still feel I the same way. I think over the last 10 years, I think we probably have changed the encephalitis world together a little bit between oh, us. I think that you have definitely. And the, and the encephalitis society's work has, def, has done incredible things. And I, I, you know, I was saying before we even started recording how it is really the number one place that I recommend people go to from all over the world. And, you know, not just people who are in England or in Europe, anyone who contacts me, I, I say, Con, you know connect with them they have these incredible resources and just like the most generous loving group of people and I really do think that you also prioritize um the actual patient experience like the person experience of, of illness and getting people together in a room just like you did with my launch you've done that for so many people and you know I always counsel people who are going through this or who are the even who are years out and who still haven't fully kind of comprehended what happened to connect because you know you do kind of the art therapy that you've done these kind of art shows that have been incredible to watch I mean even those and so I, I, the, the things that you've done I think are, are phenomenal just I think they're they're worth mentioning here oh well appreciate that thank you I don't think 10 years ago that I would have thought that um 10 years on that we would now be trying to change the landscape of encephalitis with organizations like the World Health Organization who we're working with at the moment. So 10 years ago, that would have been a, you know, a real pipe dream for me, but somehow um, we seem to be making it a reality. So there's more exciting news to uh, to come on that over the next few months. But that's uh, so exciting. Back to you in the book, the reaction to the book when it was published was was nothing short of phenomenal, I think, really. It was on, as I mentioned, on the New York Times bestsellers list and, and loads of wonderful reviews, not to mention really overwhelming positive feedback from um, members of the encephalitis community. Can you remember, I mean, what, you know, what were those early days like for you when the book had been out, you know, a few months? Well, it was it was um, shocking, honestly. Um, when I wrote the book, I was still recovering so, you know, I was diagnosed in, um, in April of 2009, and I really started writing the book maybe less than a year later after my diagnosis, which I was still recovering, but not aware that I was still recovering. And so um, when I was writing it, it was really um, for myself and for, you know, the, this kind of idea that I had, which was a correct one, that there were a lot of people going undiagnosed, misdiagnosed out there. So that, those were the kind of impetuses, like to understand what happened to me, the personal side, and then this like group of people that I wanted to reach. And so then when it, the response kind of was so much larger than that, I think that it took everyone by surprise, including my publisher. I don't think that they expected at all this, that reaction. 
and it was kind of confounding. I have to say, I I I I knew I know a lot about books, um, the book business, because I had um, run a book section at my newspaper. So I know like how many books come and go, and you know how rare it is to really connect with the culture at large. And so it, it was. I still, I'm still astounded by it, honestly. Um, and th those early days were, uh, it was a whirlwind. It really was, um, you know, just doing press and being on, you know, doing TV. And I would never done anything really like that before. So it was, it was um, nerve wracking. Um, and also just like, I felt like I had, but in some ways I think easier actually, because I felt like it wasn't a, just about me. I had this responsibility that was larger than myself. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to talk about myself. It felt bigger than that. And I think that enabled me to go ahead and like forge ahead because I felt like I wasn't, it wasn't really me or something. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um, Why yeah. do you think it resonated with so many people? It's such a good question. It's one I've really thought about over, you know, I understand, of course, why the community, why it resonates with the community, especially during those early days where there now there are many books people have written wonderful memoirs about their experiences but at the time it was I was mine was the only one you could read so I understood I understand that and I if I had been going through what I was going through and had a book like that I would obviously have wanted to read and relate and understand what had happened to me through someone else's eyes but in terms of the larger community who people who who haven't had encephalitis of any kind um you know I I think there's some kind of part of it about this idea of loss of identity and the loss of self and losing time and kind of reclaiming that. I mean, I think everyone goes through it, at, it, whether it's an illness or a life cycle or whatever it is, you go through something that tests you or challenges you and might um, for a period of time, make you lose your sense of self and force you to kind of recreate yourself in some way you know if you move to a new city that that might do that so you have a really massive heart you know heartbreak that might do it to you I think there's um I think that's that experience is a human experience and I didn't even realize that how because when I went to sell brain on fire so the the way that these things work is that you write a proposal in nonfiction, and so you know you know about this but um for our listeners proposals are like a promise of a book so it's like oh this book you know, it's going to be about this and that. And so, and, you know, it's like a 50 page document, but it's not written yet. And um, when we were selling Brain on Fire, I got rejected by every single publisher except for one. And their take was that it was too rare and that no one would relate to it. And so to have this exact opposite thing happen was just amazing. I mean, it was amazing. And it really prove to me that these singular experiences, these rare illnesses really do illuminate something larger about human experience in general. Um, and it was unexpected. I, I didn't, I, and it wasn't, some, I don't think it was something that I sought to do I, I, consciously. It was just a byproduct of, of the book. I don't know. It was, it's, it's, it's still really interesting to me, an interesting question. I mean, why do you think, I don't, why do you think it well, um, I think I think it's incredibly well written. And I know when I'm out teaching, I mean, I still I still use the book and I still say to people when I'm teaching, you know, if you if you want to know about encephalitis, you know, buy this book. And if you're not bothered about encephalitis, buy the book anyway, because because it, it you don't have to be interested in encephalitis to enjoy the book because it, it's a mystery. It's it's almost like a thriller. You take us on this journey, you know, and. Um, so I think, as you say, it's understandable why it was um, 
so important to the encephalitis community but I think other people just thoroughly enjoyed it because it was a really bloody good book thank you <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much um, I, really, I wanted it like that was something that I consciously did is that you know it it did feel to my family, less less to me, because I was so, I don't really have many memories from that time, but it did feel like um, a mystery. It did feel like a mystery. And I want, I, there's something very attractive about writing in that, in that way. I enjoy writing with cliffhangers and keeping a reader, I, that, that's something that I, I enjoy. And it probably comes from like a tabloid sensibility. So um yeah, so I, I I really wanted it to feel like that, like you were stuck in a in a medical mystery, just like it like it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, but more fun being in outside, not actually being in it is not enjoyable yeah. often. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for well, that, that. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, we all know Brain on Fire was well, many of us know was turned into a movie starring Chloe Grace Moretz, and um, produced by Shalise Theron, um, which uh, came out on Netflix um, a few years back now. I think it was around, was it about 2018 or something? No, you might be right. Is it 2016 or 2018? Um, Time passes is too quick. <laughs> I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I'm going to go with 2018. Okay. Yeah. Um, but when you, I mean, I, I think, uh, I was going to say when you receive a phone call like that, but I've got a feeling it was an email that popped into your inbox. Like we've talked about this once. Was it an email? You, you know, it was got- over time. There was very, like, it wasn't just like one day it was going to happen. There was early interest from another actress. I met with that actress. That didn't, it was always Charlize, their own, that was um, involved in, who was that, the producer behind it? Um but there were another, there was another actress and then um, that fell through. And then I thought, oh, I know that was another thing I never thought was actually going to happen because I, I'm, I'm fairly savvy about that world. I haven't had any personal experience with it, but through, through people I know, acquaintances, I've known that Hollywood often options books means like they get the, they get the rights basically to do it. And then they never move forward. So you're in years stuck in limbo. I've heard of a lot of writers stuck in limbo for their careers like they're never get it never gets made so I thought that's what's going to happen it's going to get optioned and it's never going to get made I thought there's no way Hollywood is going to use the terms anti-NMDA receptor autoimmune encephalitis like I, I just that to me just didn't seem plausible and it still seems like I can't believe that they did um but then when when Chloe um Grace Moretz got involved things seemed to gel like it seemed to go really fast. And I do remember there was a phone call. I remember I was in upstate New York and I, I can actually, it's funny. I haven't thought about this moment in, in years, but I was, I was on my, on a deck and I got a call from Charlize Theron and she told me Chloe Grace Moretz wanted to do it. And I remember knowing, okay, this is like a big moment. Like, okay, th- this is like a, you know, a star who's attached. So I, I remember that. And I just, I remember just being um, just like completely excited and overwhelmed and like a little nervous you know because it's uh you lose control when you know when when there's a movie you don't have control anymore and I don't know I had a lot a flood of varying emotions mostly extremely excited um and mostly really extremely excited to be talking to Charlize Theron because <laughs> that that's not a daily part of my my existence so um but yeah that that was the main phone call that I really remember from that time amazing 
Well, as we said, it's 10 years since Brain on Fire was published. What and you talk, you touched upon this right at the beginning, almost when you talked about being uh, coming to the UK and being in that community and and answering a question that was put to you then very differently to perhaps you would now. So what does the book mean to you now with this this 10 year distance between its release? Oh, you know, I have such I have such a fond like I have such it's like a child like I it's like my first baby you know and um there was a, I think there was a period of time you know I was 10 years you know let's say it's been it's 14 years since my diagnosis and 10 years since the book came out it makes sense I think that's I'm, I'm not great at math but I think that's what it is um and I went through you know there was a period of time where I was doing so much I mean I was doing every single, any, any press anyone wanted. I was doing grand rounds across the country internationally. And it was extremely exciting, but I was getting burnt out of my story. I actually was like, it, it lost its meaning to me because I told it so many times. And there's this concept that the more you remember something, the more it actually becomes farther and further removed from your ex existence. So I really didn't have much. I kind of lost my connection to that time. It felt like a story I was telling about like a close friend. And so the more I, more I kind of conjured it up, the less it had meaning to me personally. And so I kind of took a break. There was a period of time where I was like, I, I was working on my second book. I was very involved in that. And I said, I have to kind of get some distance from this book. And um, now it's been several years since I've done that. And the 10 years and looking back has like renewed my um, interest in the book and my, and it's, a, it, it is, ha, has given me like a new way of talking about it because the way I would do a lot of the ways I would talk would be like very immediate. Like this is what was happening to me, this, you know, and I can't, that was kind of faking it because I don't really remember what it was like anymore to have photophobia or to have the seizure or et cetera, et cetera. It was like reciting a practice speech about it. And so now having this 10 year opportunity to see it in the context of what has happened and these kind of changes in the field and advancements and all these incredible people I've gotten to meet over the years, it's really imbued it with this um, deeper meaning and beyond just like the immediacy of my experience that um, has renewed like my, my, I mean, I, I, I mean, that book is, it, it changed my life. It changed other people's lives. And um, I have it, like, I, it's a strange way to put it, but I have like a deep fondness for the book now that, um, it, 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 I don't know, that that's how I feel about it. Like, I got, like again, like a child. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think that comes across, obviously, when the 10th anniversary edition was um, was suggested, you, you sent me, you kindly sent me over a, a copy of the, the new chapter that's in it. And I, I sat up in bed reading it one night and um, just, you know, the hackles went up on the back of my neck and, you know, um, yeah, just brought it all back to me again, really. Oh. So I, th I think that really comes across in, in that final chapter. I think it's such a great addition. But um, I guess, I mean, you know, you've had this 10 year overview of something that you would never have chosen to have been involved in um, had you had a choice. But what changes have you noticed in the past 10 years in encephalitis or encephalitis and, and its associated communities? You know, um, what, what do you think has happened over the last 10 years? Well, kind of circle back to what we were talking about before with the advancement in what's going on with you guys and what's going on in the kind of um, nonprofit world surrounding this is, or even this patient advocacy group surrounding this. I mean, there was nothing 
when I was diagnosed for someone like me. I mean, I, the, I think, was the Encephalitis Society, how long has it been around? But it, it wasn't connected with encephalitis, with autoimmune encephalitis. Like there wasn't, if you were Googling Autoimmune Encephalitis Alliance, uh, autoimmune encephalitis, you wouldn't go to encephalitis society like I did. And it didn't, it wasn't connected yet. So it felt, you felt very siloed. There was no place for someone like me to go and feel like a community. And that is not the case anymore. And there's just the work being done in terms of groups behind this. Um, it's, it's a totally different landscape now than, than in the past when I was diagnosed. Um, the research, the research is it's a different world. And I, you know, the numbers, I, I can't do them off the top of my head, but I, I know that there are kind of three, I think like there were 300 articles written last year on, and, and, uh, you know, um, on autoimmune encephalitis, not even encephalitis, autoimmune encephalitis. And when I was diagnosed, I think there were like, again, I'm making these numbers up, but the equivalent of 20 ever written, yeah. you know, so this, the kind of expansion and of knowledge about and awareness um, about the illness has been, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a night and day. And I think diagnosis has gotten far better. So people are getting quick, more quickly diagnosed. They're getting treated in more aggressive fashions. Of course, there are still issues. People aren't getting diagnosed properly. I, I mean, I still get emails all the time from people and there are always a horror story embedded in there. You know, out of one, one out of every eight will have, you know, a terrible story of misdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. So it, there's still a problem. And that's why, you know, the work of the Encephalitis Society and others, other, you know, nonprofits, it's so important to get awareness out still. I mean, it can feel like, oh, we've reached everyone. <laughs> we haven't, you know, um, and I did, I remember I did a, there was a one woman who I did a grand rounds. I did a grand rounds at the hospital where she was diagnosed. And um, a couple of years, maybe a year later, she went in presenting pretty classically and her father was a doctor. So she had a lot on her side. You know, I had done a grand rounds there. Father was a doctor. Still, she was, she was given um, high dose of antipsychotics. She was misdiagnosed. She was siloed off to psych. A lot of things happened before she was diagnosed, which horrified me because you know it shouldn't have happened that way so it just proved to me okay we can even do the grand rounds and do the and it still doesn't reach everyone mistakes still are being made um so as much as awareness has I mean uh the the, the kind of I I mean I've heard that medical students now uh, my my step my step uh, sister told me that there was an autoimmune encephalitis question on the MCAT which is this you know the test for for uh, future doctors and to get into medical school so I mean it's really kind of hit a, what you think is a saturation point, even though there's still more work to be done. So the landscape has shifted astronomically in in, the, in that last 10 years, um, which has been such a joy to be aware of because I wasn't, I'm not in the medical community. I'm not in the nonprofit sector. I don't, I'm a, you know, a, a journalist and a writer and, you know, I, I'm interested in science, but it wasn't my primary area. So I don't think I would have even been fully aware of this massive shift. In medicine on this specific illness, um, which shows you the the you know possibilities of other illnesses too, that you can have these kind of swift movements forward, which is very inspiring, I think. So when you look back in the past 10 years, it is very, very inspiring, despite all that still needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, like you said, absolutely, there's still uh, lots more to be done. Um, but that the, there has been this pendulum shift in terms of this condition. I think that's really important. 
I mentioned earlier the 10th anniversary uh, chapter that you've written um, and how it made me feel, you know, when I read it kind of hairs up on the back of my neck and, 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 you know, again, I mean, just how incredible your writing has continued to be and to develop. Um, it is a chapter that philosophizes a bit on your journey. It's reflective. It looks back. But you conclude towards the end of that chapter by saying that your story doesn't belong to you anymore, that it belongs to, to the readers, to the survivors. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, you know, that in, in a way, it's, it's a very kind of concrete. I mean, people have taken my stories and created art out of it, my story, and created their own art out of it. And that that was to me one of the most surprising outcomes of this book that has that endures. You know, I've had, you know, there are people who've written their own memoirs and who I have you know counseled a bit in terms of writing something like this. And it's been really fun to kind of read other people's takes. But then someone sent me an album that they that they wrote um inspired by their own experience after reading my book there was a, a person who made a, a clothing like they designed a whole clothing label or um, line off of brain on fire there was a, I, I i saw a dance that was inspired by brain on fire that performed which was just amazing um you know there was a woman who made a shepherd's pie made that looked like a brain on fire inspired by my book for like a competition i mean the late and i i actually have um a hat someone crocheted for me a brain on fire hat i mean it just the from big to small like there was haikus i mean there's been this amazing proliferation of people who have kind of read my book and kind of identified oh this this helped her her, this quest to understand what had happened, what happened to her, helped her kind of come, you know, come through it. And I think they identified that and what happened to me and want to do it for themselves. And that has been so cool and not something that I anticipated being an outcome. So that's kind of what I mean about it not being mine anymore. And, you know, and then part of that also comes from that feeling that I described of it not really feeling like myself anymore anyway, you know, because I've told it so many times and, it's not really my, doesn't feel like my story anymore. It's that feeling, but then also that it's been kind of alchemized by other people into other works of art. It's just so cool. It's so cool. Well, you're on to new parts of your story now. Anyway, there's been a lot of changes in your life over the, over the last 10 years. You got married, became a mother of twins. Yes. yes. Not to do things by halves. No. Um, published the <laughs> second book as well, The Great Pretender. So what's next for you, Susanna? Yeah, so I'm working on a new book now. It's, um, I probably will be out in a year, probably. And this is a, it's a, it's a biography. Actually, I'm like wondering if you can see my, her in the background. I don't know. Yeah, you can kind of see oh, her yeah. in the background. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, she was married to Timothy Leary, a famous kind of acid guru yep. 1960s so it, it's it's a little bit about um the first wave psychedelic revolution that happens in in america and across the country across the world um and kind of um with revolving around um lsd uh but it's really a story of a, a searcher and a woman kind of lost trying to find meaning what is what is um kind of reinvention what does reinvention look like um you know this, there's been a lot of talk in the psychedelic community of changing your mind with these um substances and 
she's kind of a case study in that. And does that, is that really what happens and what does change people? Um, anyway, so it, it is a biography of this kind of lot. She's, her story has never really been told. She's kind of a lost woman. In, and I would say in American history, not just in psychedelic history. So it's really fun. It's been totally different. It's my first biography. So um, anyways, that's what I've been working on. And it's, it's, a, it's really been a joy. Oh, well, as ever, I can't wait to read it. Um, I'll finish as I always do by asking you if there's anything that you would have liked me to have asked you or anything that you want to add before we finish up. Gosh, no, I just, I just want to say thank you so much for having me and for all the work that you do. And you work tirelessly hard for this, for these causes and for people like me. So I just want to say thank you for your work. And, and the Encephalitis Society is a very special place. And it's, that's been true since day one since I've gotten involved there and, and continues to even be more true <laughs> as the more kind of greater missions you all have taken on. So I uh, just want to say thank you to, to you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we couldn't do it without supporters like yourself who give your name and your time, you know, to us to help us, you know, drive the messages, the important messages um, home to people that still don't know. So I appreciate it, but we certainly don't do it on our own. Um, thank you for joining us on the encephalitis podcast today, Susanna, uh, and thank you for Brain on Fire. Um, where can people buy the new edition? I don't have a copy of it. Mine I haven't arrived. I, I, I want know. To I can't believe that. But um, you should, I, need, I mean, I'm not sure if it's out in the UK. So I think it's, I think it's like anywhere, anywhere where books are sold in um, the US. I'm not sure if the UK put out an edition, a new edition. I don't think they did. So I think it's only American edition, unfortunately. Okay. But if you want to email me, I'll send. Them. If you want to email me any Encephalitis Society people, I'll send you a copy of the new chapter. So you'll be you'll be flooded with uh, things. You might wish you hadn't said that. Um, <laughs> um, so for those that do need any more information or support, please go to encephalitis.info for contact details, or you can chat to one of the team online. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and as always, if you can support our life saving work, we would be extremely grateful please go to encephalitis.info or if you're in america encephalitis.info forward slash donate and don't forget to buy the book please and if you haven't read brain on fire then you're missing a treat and you should you will be able to get a copy in in most countries of this um susanna thank you thank you so much mm -hmm.